Welcome to the Sus Talk Podcast. I'm Susumu Rocky here. The NBA Finals is upon us. And it is the exact matchup that we thought we were going to get. The Lakers taking on the Heat. Nope, we, we weren't talking about the Bucks. No, we were not talking about the Clippers getting into the Finals. Nope, we knew the Lakers were. But the Heat? Didn't see that coming at all. And joining me to break it all down, along with everything else that happened in the NBA bubble, is the host of the Just Kicking It podcast and fellow WRHU alumni, Justin Huntsman. Justin, welcome back to the show. What's up, Sus? How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. And what this? can we talk about this matchup and before we go into the, the actual finals matchup? Uh, news broke yesterday, major news, Doc Rivers gone as Clippers head coach and this popped up like I think it was five hours after the last time we spoke to each other on on uh, messenger DMs we were I was saying like look I'm done talking about the Clippers I'm done with this team but then they keep coming back Woj drops this bombshell of news and Doc Rivers is gone what was your reaction when you saw the news shocked but not surprised I mean I thought they would give him another year but at some point when he's been with the Clippers, and this is the second time now under the Steve Ballmer regime that he's blown a 3-1 lead, at a certain point, it's going to fall at Doc Rivers' feet. Now, they said in the articles and everything that, look, the bubble played a concern. They did weigh that into the effect. But Steve Ballmer, one, they're trying to break ground on a new arena, and he just can't trust Doc, Doc Rivers moving forward into next year and moving in, uh, just getting the right adjustments. So... Look, if, if your owner doesn't trust you and he's investing all this money, I mean, he's going to move on. It's just now the question, who who's who's go, who's going to replace Doc Rivers? That is the central question. And when you look at this team and you look, there's clearly there's talent. They're led by Kawhi Leonard. They have Paul George, who playoff struggles aside, is still one of the best players in the league. You also have a pretty good supporting cast led by Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, Pat Bev, and a bunch of other guys that could really just help help down the road. But if you're Steve Ballmer and you're looking to hire the next head coach of your team, what do what kind of coach do they need to fix this team? Because clearly there's something that this team is missing and they need the coach to really just fix that problem. The biggest thing that I've noticed in all the articles and all the leaks that have come out is the preferential treatment that Kawhi and Paul George got over the rest of the teammates. Um, it seems like that is definitely what played a big role in just this team's disconnect and just their issues in the playoffs. I mean, it was leaked that Montrezl Hale and Paul George got into it. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's it's hard because in, in the NBA, you're always going to give your stars and your better players preferential treatment. But it looked like it just played a huge role, and especially you talked about it, Paul George struggling in the playoffs. That definitely weighed into it where. He's not playing as well as other players, and it was leaked that most of the role players feel like they're as good as Paul George. Well, then there's going to be issues if your coach is giving them preferential treatment. So you have to look at someone who's going to get respect to the locker room and also make adjustments because Doc was pretty stubborn in that series against Denver and even Dallas with Montrose Harrell's minutes. And Harrell won six men of the year, but then he was or caught COVID-19. His grandmother passed away. He missed most of the bubble games. He was late. He was out of shape. And he was probably their worst player in the playoffs. I mean, let's just, uh, I'll, I'll say major player. He struggled, and Doc Rivers really didn't go away with him, and it looked like a lot of players were pissed off about that. So we'll see. It looks like you need to hold the stars accountable, but you also need to build team chemistry and get e each player to trust one another. The rumors flying around say that Ty Luke is the mm -hmm. one of the guys that's surfacing around as the next potential candidate for for the position. But it's just for just for me, like when I look at this team, when I look at the this Clippers team, and you nailed it down. It's the whole there's this problem with chemistry, there's this problem with the players just kind of being at each other's throats a little bit. Well, not a little bit, but the whole team just feels like they're never really gelled this whole like load management thing was a constant like thing that was moving over them all the time like do you think that now like they have to look at this team the next head coach has to be like okay we are done with load management that's done we're not doing that anymore i don't think load management is going away just because when you sign Kawhi leonard you're signing up for that so but to your other point of not gelling i don't think Montrose harrell comes back this offseason really uh, i think he's gone 
and the rumor this morning was that the Heat are interested in him, and there's, I think, six or seven other teams that are interested in him. And look, I think the Clippers are going to look at overhauling this roster. I think you're going to see Lou Williams shop. I think you're going to see them try to make moves. They're, Steve Ballmer's not getting rid of Doc Rivers just solely. Let me remove the coach and bring in a new guy. No, he clearly wants a cultural change there and just different players. He doesn't like something about going on there. And I don't think that just stops with the head coach. That's interesting. That's because Lou Williams was kind of, was pretty much a liability on de- defensively, yeah. especially he was a complete liability and you only sign up for the only, the good thing about Lou, Lou Williams is that he could score in bunches for your second unit. But if he's not, is he, if he's not defending well, or he's on a cold spell, it's like, what are you, what is he doing on the floor? That's then? Point. Yep. And, I this team, I hope that like this three and one is a wake up call for everyone. That it's just like you got to just you got to do something. Like it, it's just for just because like you can't be down three one like that to a Denver team. Which granted, we're gonna talk about this a little bit later with with the Nuggets, but that they showed a lot more fight. And then you saw that game seven was just like they just it, at some point they just lost the fight and they just gave up. They won. When the game got late, you saw the pressure just start mounting on the Clippers. And two, in a game seven, it's always usually going to be a rock fight. Your legs are worn out. Um, Bubble now is a little different. There's no travel and things like that. But they just looked like a defeated team all game seven. And I think that really starts with leadership. And this is where I'm someone who's very high on Kawhi Leonard. But Kawhi has to take the brunt of the criticism here because he's never had to lead a team before. This is his first year with this Clippers team. And I don't think he was vocal enough. And I don't think this Clippers team knew their roles well enough. You had Harrell who wanted the ball. You had Lou Williams who wanted the ball. Paul George wanted the ball. Late game situations, Kawhi Leonard has to let these guys know three minutes left, the offense runs through me. And I think too many times that didn't happen. That's interesting. That's interesting because... The the idea that Kawhi being much more vocal sounds sounds like an oxymoron, but at the same time, like it has to happen. It has to happen. <laughs> has to happen. The, thing, the thing is, is you're with the Spurs. It's the culture that kind of, and you have Popovich there. Then you go to Toronto and Kyle Lowry, and Kawhi even said it multiple times. Kawhi, uh, Kyle Lowry was the leader there. He was the vocal guy. He's the guy that galvanized the whole team. You look at the Clippers. I mean. At some point, Kawhi has to step up. And it doesn't always have to be right in front of our eyes. It can be in the locker room and things like that. And those are the things I don't know. But just looking at their play on the court, Kawhi's body language sometimes is frustrated, but it's like, dude, open your mouth and tell them. Like, there needs to be some vocalization because you guys all don't look on the same step and the same wavelength, and that's an issue when you're trying to compete for championships. Let's stay in the West and go to the Western Conference Finals match of which Lakers won in five, which, uh, you know, seems predictable. But the Nuggets, they were in it for a lot of those games. And honestly, I'm so happy to see this team. They, I, I think this is a team that has really surprised and lit up a lot of eyes, especially on the national stage as well. But so the one guy that I really want to focus on for the Nuggets is Jamal Murray, who really just balled out in the bubble. He was so good. Do you think that he has entered the top 25 conversation amongst all NBA players? Yeah, I would definitely think that. I think the problem with Jamal Murray is always nobody doubted his skill, but when I'm watching regular season games, it's his consistency. And obviously it changes when we get to the playoffs, and he proved that. But my question with Jamal Murray is, in this Denver Nugget team, is you played great in the bubble. How do you transfer this moving forward to next season? Because they were an inconsistent team this season, and they've also just been plagued by injuries now for the past year and a half. But I would agree. I think Murray has definitely solidified himself as a top 25 player. They were pretty much – do you feel like the Nuggets were simply just outmatched by the Lakers? Because they had a bunch of guys that they could throw at LeBron, but the problem was AD. It was just constantly AD. They just kept getting overpowered by – that soup, that star tandem, and AD, I think, led the front on that. And then, yeah. you know, LeBron clinched down game five. Yeah, I mean, I before the series, I had the Lakers winning in five just because, look, the Nuggets are a really good team, but I always put them in the category of, like, they're the future of the West is the way I look at them. And they took a huge step this, this year. 
but I look at them as a future team of the West. Whereas the Lakers, I said in October, we're going to win a championship. When you have LeBron James, who's a top two player in the league, and is on year 17 and isn't slowing down, and you had Anthony Davis, who, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but has been the best player on the Lakers this year, and he's been the best player of their playoffs, not the most important, but been the best player this playoffs. He's a top six player. I mean, everybody has duos this year, and I just think Los Angeles has the best one. Historically, as a tandem, LeBron and AD, they just... They just, they, here's the thing that is really awesome about them is that they kind of just figured out immediately what they're, who is what, like what, like, you know, who does what and what does, yeah, you know, everything. Roles. That was a huge part is the Lakers. That's the difference between the Lakers and Clippers this year. As you look at the Lakers roster and everybody's like, oh, you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, but who else do you have? Well, <laughs> you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. Everybody else just needs to play a role and know what they need to do. And that's been the key for the Lakers this year. You have guys like Alex Caruso who steps up in the backup point guard role. You've had Rondo who's been huge in the playoffs. Danny Green still can't hit a shot. But on the other end of that, KCP has been great and has been a great player in this postseason. And then you have Dwight Howard, McGee. You have guys filling in roles. And when you have two-star players, that's all you need. Kuzma steps up some nights. It's Caruso, Rondo. As long as you can get a different third guy every night, you have LeBron and AD. You know what you're getting. You just need that third guy, and they've gotten that pretty much all season. That's why they had the number one record in the West, and they've been breezing through these playoffs so far. Can we talk about how they they basically just used Dwight Howard just to bully Jokic inside? Yeah. It was just his whole purpose was just foul Jokic. It it doesn't matter. We don't care if you dunked or anything. Just like just beat up Jokic inside. That's all that matters. The funny thing is you can look at, I mean, we just saw the last dance in April. Dwight Howard is kind of playing that Dennis Rodman role right now, right? Kind of getting under players' skin. Now the act might get annoying after a while, but his role is to get under people's skin, rebound, and play hard. I mean, that's all they're asking him to do. And look, Dwight Howard's career trajectory has obviously taken a weird one, but in my eyes, he's still a Hall of Famer. And when you have that championship pedigree and, and those level of players and that mindset, I mean, that takes you very far. To think that this is a man who beat LeBron James yep. in the Eastern Conference Finals almost a decade ago. And then now he's helping LeBron win his fourth NBA championship and potentially his Dwight's first. I, I can't believe the universe has turned out this way. I, I think what people, a lot of people forget Dwight Howard was, I, I think, I think he won the defensive player of the year three years in a row. I mean, he was a dominant force. Like you said, he beat LeBron, him, Hito, Rashard Lewis. Like They had a squad in Orlando, and White was a top-five player and an MVP candidate year in, year out for a while. Just because he had some rough years in Charlotte and Atlanta that followed and then he was injury-riddled, you have to remember when you team up with guys that have all had great careers and know their roles – and just know what to expect and know what it takes to win at high-level games, like that's going to add up to a championship recipe. And I just I think un- people undervalued that a lot going into the year. It's just funny to me because Dwight, the reason a lot of times that Dwight has just kind of moved around the league, I was just, he rubbed a lot of people yep. the wrong way. Everywhere he went, he just kept rubbing the people the wrong way annoying people just being i don't know what it is about him what it's like or what he does like outside the court but like he just ends up going to different teams and just pissing off so many players it's amazing it's honestly an accomplishment and there's a few components to that right so we'll start with this year with the lakers one we have to give rob plinka credit because he gave him a deal that was pretty much like a make it or break it deal like they weren't paying him pretty much anything. I don't think his salary was guaranteed until January or February, which pretty much meant, look, you have to come in, play serious, show us and prove to us that you're not going to be a liability on or off the court, and then we'll move forward with you. But going back to like when he had issues in Charlotte and Atlanta, I mean, look at those teams. Now, the issue is you have you, you don't have anybody to put him in his place, really. You have young, a younger roster, and Dwight's really not a leader. Dwight's a follower, and that's how he's been his whole career. So put him on the Lakers now where he's just following Anthony Davis, LeBron, and being told what to do and having expectations and being put in his place, you're going to get better results. But when he's on a younger team, he's fooling around, he's injured, he's probably not the best influence, and he's probably not handling it well because he thinks he deserves more touches on those teams that aren't very good. It's it's a recipe for failure. Indeed. I, And we'll go into, like, 
the Lakers a little bit. I want to switch over to the East because that really was the kind of like a coach's duel, essentially. It was yeah. Spolstra versus Stevens. Heat went up in six. And I can't remember how many how many times I've seen, but like I I get like Twitter notifications and you and Pat were just like tweeting up a storm throughout this <laughs> series. It was it was astounding. Like this was really the coach's duel. And what was your thoughts? And uh, how do you think Miami took this series? When did you know that they had they had this in the bag? I honestly never thought they had in the bag. I like I think Spolstra outcoached Stevens badly in the series, um, but Boston was the better team for seventy percent of the series. Like it's a weird series. After four games, the score was four forty one to four forty one, and Boston was down three one, and. They're a young team, and they just struggled in key moments. Like, when you're down to the final four teams, you can't go through a lull for six minutes. And Boston kept doing that, whether it was the third quarter in the first few games and then the fourth at the tail end of games. They struggled to close. They struggled to execute. And that's on coaching. And that's really where this series was decided. Boston's the much more talented team. I mean, look at these rosters. Boston is the more talented team. And when Boston put it together, they looked like the more talented team. But credit to Spolstra, he kept them uncomfortable with the 2-3 zone the majority of this series. So I, I honestly think this is a frustrating series for Boston because we always say the future is very bright. You, like You have young players. We always say that, and then history tells us those teams usually struggle to get back there, whatever it may be, whether it's players moving on, guys not meeting their career trajectory that was put out for them at the time. Something happens, and this was a missed opportunity for Boston here. I thought they were the better team. I honestly, even in game six, when they were up 96 to 90 in the fourth quarter, thought they had the game. And then I think the Heat went on like a 26 to 6 run. They just failed to execute. And there's a few things you can look at it for Boston. One, Kemba Walker was annihilated in this series defensively. He was hunted consistently. Spolstra exposed that weakness on Boston. And I like Kemba Walker, but when it comes to the final four teams, small guards do get picked on. And that was the case in this series. And then you move it over. While I think Stevens was outcoached, Jason Tatum didn't have a great series. He had a few great second halves, but he couldn't piece together a legitimate 48 minutes and look, he's 22. He still has time to grow. But the thing I need to see from him moving forward is better shot selection. He falls in love with that sidestep uh, to his right three-pointer way too much. And he just becomes a jump shooter way too often instead of attacking the basket. The other problem I have with Boston this series, Marcus Smart too many games was taking more shots than Jalen Brown. I said it on my own podcast when Pat came on. They need to involve Jalen Brown. I think they're like 26-1 and one this year when Jalen Brown scores 25 points or more. And he was probably their best player this series. I don't think they involved him enough. Now, Miami won 4-2. So I have to turn over and give them credit for executing and playing well. Uh, Jay Crowder had a huge game one and then kind of came down to earth. But otherwise, I mean, Tyler Hero stepped up all series. I think he averaged 20 points. Bam Adebayo had a monster game six. And whatever scout said that Bam Adebayo and Daniel Tice were going to be a wash, I don't know what they were thinking because Bam Adebayo dominated that matchup. And that was really the difference in the series besides coaching is Adebayo had his way and kind of was orchestrating the offense while getting his at the same time. So I got to give hats off to Miami. You got Drogic coming now in the starting lineup, which has been huge for them. This team is is solid coming into the finals. I, you know what I love about this team? What I love about Miami is they kind of figured out who the eight, nine guys they want to go into yeah. the floor with. And that's the problem with me in Boston is that, look, they have like the four guys. They have they essentially the five that they want to go for. They have Kemba, Smart, Jalen, Tatum, and Tice. You maybe, and that was before like, and that was the five before like Gordon Hayward came back. My problem with this team is the rest of the team. Who is the six seven? Who's the seven eight guy? Who's the guy that's gonna yeah. step in and to fill those minutes? Like Brad Wanamaker? Are you serious? Yeah. You gotta get somebody better to upgrade that position. De depth definitely hurt them this series. I think that's an area they need to address this offseason. And obviously, the news came out yesterday that Gordon Hayward is most likely going to exercise his thirty four million dollar option. Uh, that makes it a little tough for Boston. I like Gordon Hayward, but he has not been the player Boston was promised or signed. Uh, four years ago so 
whether they try to move him for a big man like Steven Adams or try to move him for better bench depth, I don't know. But Boston has the guys right now. Like Tatum and Brown are your two stars. It's just now time to surround them with complimentary pieces and filling out the bench. When I look at this team, I felt like they, they're way too young. There's They used up all their draft capital. And you get, yes, like it's fine. You get guys like Carson Edwards, you get Romeo Langford, but this is a team that need, that is going to compete now. When are you going, you can't expect that these guys are going to be ready to contribute right off the bat. It, some of these guys need development. So that's why depth has always been a concern for me. It's like, seriously, like you're going with Robert Williams and Brad Wanamaker, and you're just going to leave Ennis Cantor on your bench. Because if you can't use Cantor, that means you got to use Williams. I'm like, this team is so dependent on their five, but I it's, they got to upgrade everywhere. It's funny. I actually have game six on in the background um, on NBA TV and I canters on the court right now. And look, he can get buckets offensively, but Spolster had to been licking his lips every time Ennis Canter checked in defensively. He's just too big of a liability. Once you get to a conference championship, it's not going to work. And then like you said, with their youth, I mean, if you're not relying on Ennis Cantor, then you have to play second-year Robert Williams or you have to go to rookie Grant Williams. And at a certain point, you have to look around and say, we need some vets on this team. It can't be all 22, 23-year-olds because, look, it showed us. They can't execute when times get tough, and Brad Stevens' coaching didn't make up enough for their youth in this series. And I think there's multiple components there for why they lost this series. All right, let's go to, let's briefly kind of break down the NBA Finals matchup, yeah. Lakers Heat. And I think there's a lot of interesting storylines that come with it. If Even if it was even more, I would say even more than if it was Lakers Celtics. Because yeah. it's LeBron taking on Pat Riley, two of the biggest influ- spheres of influences in the NBA. I can't believe this. And this is coming off of LeBron leaving Miami the way he did and Pat Riley sending that one letter, or was it like an open letter? I can't remember exactly, but all I know is that it, it rubbed Pat Riley the wrong way and LeBron and he did the same to LeBron. So what would you, what do you think about what is the most interesting storyline to you aside from LeBron versus Pat Riley? Uh, Yeah. First I want to touch on that. There's no love lost here. Um, LeBron was obviously complimentary in his, uh, press availability today, but he's going to take the high road always. He's not going to actually share his actual feelings. Um, the stories that came out in 2014 is Pat Riley, I think flew out to Vegas to visit LeBron. He brought the two championships. He brought wine that Maverick Carter gave him. Um, or they drank with Maverick Carter and LeBron on the night he signed back in 2010. He got the same type of bottle, brought it. And when he walks in the room, it's Rich Paul with LeBron. And there's no Maverick Carter. And Pat Riley realized at that moment, uh, he's not re-signing. He's not taking this serious. And the story follows that LeBron's watching a World Cup game, and they're trying to talk. And Rich Paul and LeBron are kind of glancing back and forth to the World Cup game. And Pat Riley kind of gets pissed off and is like, you need to have some respect for me. And I believe – now, these are all rumors. Alonzo Mourning was in the room and pretty much told LeBron, like, you're not going to treat this guy like this. And after that, I think, I don't know if they've talked to this day, there was a silence for at least three to four years. Like you said, there was a letter. Um, but other than that, look, LeBron wanted Eric Spolster fired. That's, that's, that's a real story. That's real info. Wow. After, after, their, after their first championship and they lost, he went to Pat Riley and he wanted Eric Spolster fired. And Pat Riley said, no, that's my guy. And pretty much that was one of the main reasons LeBron ended up leaving is because Spolster wasn't canned. So look, Rachel Nichols asked Spolstra the question about LeBron right after he won the conference championship, and you could see Spolstra was like, can, can I enjoy this? I don't want to talk about this guy. Spolstra's now had six years, and obviously you're not just game planning for like the day that I meet him in the finals, but he knows how LeBron plays and he knows LeBron's tendencies. I'm very interested in the best coach in the NBA versus the best player. Like, that's what interests me, and that's the storyline right there, is you have the best coach right now in the NBA against the best player. How is he going to game plan and scheme against LeBron? Is it going to be similar to how Popovich and Rick Carlisle did back when the Mavericks and Spurs played him of make him a jump shooter because LeBron's struggling right now? I'm very interested in what Spolster's scheme is coming into this series. 
That's interesting. I didn't even know that LeBron wanted Spo fired. And yep. it, he's and now okay, LeBron looks so wrong because you look at Eric Spolster now, he has kind of slowly ascended into becoming a, a legitimately bona fide top five head coach. He's up there with guys like Kerr and Popovich at this point. You wouldn't you agree? Yes. Like this guy, he handpicked by Pat Riley to be a successor. He starts out as like a video coordinator, works his way up through the team, and then the, he becomes this bona fide step, like this bona fide head coach. This guy is a tactician at heart. I I just can't believe that this is the matchup we're getting. It. I'm just I'm very excited. I'm so pumped, and especially it's Jimmy Butler versus LeBron James. Essentially, I can't wait. Jimmy is the kind of person that thinks he's better than LeBron on the court. Every that's the constant mentality and then you also have bam out of bottle taking on ad do you see that matchup shit how do you see that those matchups shaking out before i answer the bam versus ad question the one matchup and one thing that already annoys me that people are bringing up is lebron versus iggy thing i i, I don't want to hear about this iguodala he had a very good game six but the rest of the playoffs he's not been good I, I maybe maybe he'll be useful in this series against the Lakers. They might throw looks at LeBron with Iguodala and along with Jay Crowder. I don't want to hear the matchup of like Iguodala won a Finals MVP back back five years ago against LeBron. Like I I don't want to hear about that matchup. Now the matchup you brought up, AD Adebayo, that's probably going to be an awesome matchup. Anthony Davis averaging pretty much thirty and ten this postseason, the best big in the game right now against the best emerging big. I expect Miami to go zone. So I don't know if it's a one-for-one matchup, but in the two games they played this year, and I can't take a ton from it because both games were even before Christmas time, and that NBA season feels like five years ago. They did throw zone at the Lakers, and Anthony Davis was producing 1.5 points per possession, and he kind of took them out of the zone. So it's going to be very interesting because AD can break down the zone. Very good. His comfort level is that 15 footer right in the middle. That's how you break down his zone. I think his length gives Adebayo issues. I mean, they're only, I think he's only an inch or two taller than Adebayo, but he has like five inches of wingspan on Adebayo. I think his length gives him issues. I just think uh, it's tough. Like this is Adebayo's first finals. He's kind of emerging right now. And then you go to to the best big in the game. And I think this is where, we get so enthralled and wrapped up in, oh, is this going to make Adebayo like a superstar? And it's like, it, relax. He's having a very good season, but there's levels to this of comparing him against Anthony Davis in this matchup. And I think, ultimately, I do think AD gets the edge in it. It's kind of scary because you think it's just LeBron and AD, but you people don't realize how massive like that that is it's so daunting to take on two superstars of their caliber mm-hmm. and you basically need a whole army of players just to take them down or even just slow them down like there's really nothing you can yeah, do it's like containing, it's, yeah it's they're guaranteed 20 points they're guaranteed like 10 rebound 10 boards and lebron's guaranteed at least eight assists like it's there's nothing really that like any team can do to like stop them the only thing you could do is stop the rest of the team basically that's the only way the heat are going to be able to win this and you look at both of those teams, they kind of have their guys figured out. Miami has their guys. The Lakers have pretty much figured out who they want to put out on the court. And it's just, I love this series. It's, I can't, I didn't even know I wanted this series. And once it has finally come to fruition, I'm just like, I'm just very happy. I remember I, I read a tweet that you said the Lakers would win in six, correct? Yes. I feel I don't know why I'm feeling Miami in six. I don't know. There's something about this that makes me think that they're gonna Spolstra is going to be able to figure out this team. He's gonna be able to slow down LeBron and AD. And the only way that they're gonna win this is if they stop everybody else on the Lakers. So a few things to look at. You brought up of how AD and LeBron are guaranteed 20 and all their stats and things like that. As a coach, you always know they're gonna get their numbers. It's how they get them on the volume of shots, the looks they're getting. That's where Spolstra is gonna try to win that matchup. And another thing you always look at when you talk about LeBron James is he's at his best when he's setting the table for everybody else. I'll be interested to see if Spolstra makes him a scorer this series. And I'm not saying LeBron can't do that, but when you've seen teams have success against LeBron James, it's taking away the shooters and saying, beat us one-on-one. And he might do that, but even if he does, for the Heat, if you give up 40 to LeBron James, if you hold everybody else, do you get the win? That's the question. 
Now, I had the Lakers in six because, one, I had the Lakers winning back in October before the season. So I'm going to stay to my initial pick. And two, I just think the Lakers are a better team. Uh, you look at Anthony Davis and LeBron, they're the two best players in this series. And then after that, the Miami Heat have the majority of the rest of the better players. Granted. But talent wins and championship experience matters. You have LeBron, who's won a championship. Rondo, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Danny Green. These guys understand the moment and understand how valuable possessions are. Miami goes through scoring lulls, and one thing they struggle is to create their own offense. Lakers have the best defense in the playoffs right now, and what they're so great at is making guys play off the script. So my X factor for the Heat, if this is a series, would be two guys. It'd be Goran Dragic, who's now in the starting five. They're going to need a big series from him. And then Tyler Harrow. And why I picked Tyler Harrow is because, like I just said, the Lakers make you play off this script. And Tyler Hero, along with Dragic, is probably the best player on the Heat that can get his own shot off the dribble. And that's going to be paramount into beating the Lakers. It's interesting that you're leaving out Jimmy because is he really just like not the most important guy on their team right now? No, I don't think so. I, I think Jimmy's a very good player, but I think Bam Adebayo and Drogic are more important right now. Drogic is the, is their best scorer right now, and Bam Adebayo is their most important two-way player. Bam Adebayo sets the table for a lot of guys, and on the defensive end, he's their quarterback, and he's their back line. I think Jimmy Butler's a great player, but even if you look at the Boston series, I mean, most games, he was their third best player on the court. And that's not a knock against Jimmy. It's just the Heat have a really good team, and that's kind of how they've built that team to be set up. It's kind of interesting that they're much more team-oriented, and yeah. I can't wait to see how the series shakes up. Let's move on to something that is within your wheelhouse, and I and I brought you on because I wanted to learn so much about it. We're going to talk about sneaker culture. Okay. And you recently launched your very own podcast, Just Kicking It, where you discuss everything, all the news surrounding sneakers, whether it be for basketball or any other sport. What drew you to love sneakers? Um, well, I've been a psycho since I was like five years old, uh, caring about how I dress. Um, I've always been someone that likes to match. And Tracy McGrady, funny enough, was my favorite player when I was young. So I had a pair of T-Mac 2s, 3s, and I got his 5s. And I, I don't know. So, something about me growing up loved shoes and loved what players were wearing. I always cared more about the product, obviously. But I have a buddy who I grew up with who we would always talk about what shoes they're wearing, what the colorway is. And playing video games, playing Madden and 2K, it always used to frustrate me if they didn't have the right shoes on their feet or if they didn't have the right cleats or even the cleats or the shoes in the game. So that's just been something about me where I've been, I don't just odd about that. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. It's just been a passion of mine and I've always liked the way players look. It kind of goes back to Deion Sanders of the saying of you look good, you play good. And I've always believed that. And I always like players that kind of care about what they're putting on their feet and kind of looking the best on the court. What do you think makes like a great sneaker? What do you, what aspect do you mostly focus on that, that, that makes you say that's a good that's a good sneaker. That's a good line. I want, I want to buy that, and I definitely or something like that. You know, I I think they're playing on the court. Honestly, it, I, obviously the look of the shoe and all that matters. But we, I already alluded to the last dance. But Michael Jordan says it. Like if he sucks on the basketball court, nobody's buying Jordans. People were buying Jordans because Michael Jordan was the coolest guy and the best player in the NBA, and that's what draws people to buy your shoes. Now the shoe itself. If I'm wearing it for basketball, I care about traction and how it's going to hold up, of how my foot fits into it, the ankle support, and the traction on the shoes and the tech they're kind of using in the shoe to make sure my foot is not going to break or twist or anything like that. If it's just a streetwear shoe, it's just all about looks. I'm personally a Nike and Jordan guy. Um, and like I said, I like Michael Jordan, and I've also just gravitated towards Nike because the way it fits to my body and the way – I just like the way it looks. I think Nike has dominated the market for a while. I think they have the best colorways, and they usually have the best athletes, which draws a lot of people to wanting to buy their products. It's kind of interesting that you say that because I, I remember like a while back, there was like this huge um, bidding war for Steph Curry, and then ultimately Steph chose Under Armour. Yep. And in some ways, Under Armour is kind of trying to take Steph and try to turn him into what, you know. Like, yeah. 
what well, might what, what yeah. Michael happened like a while ago, and this whole bidding war for to get endorsements from different stars like is that like really what the industry is like about like just trying to lock in these endorsement deals and then you pretty much are winning the war against the your your other competitors. Yeah, I I think that's a part of it. Like I think Under Armour. Well, at the time, nobody knew Steph Curry was going to be Steph Curry, right? Nike botched that meeting. It's well noted that they had kept slides for Kevin Durant in that meeting with Steph Curry. They didn't even send their top guys to meet with him. So it was kind of apparent that they didn't care about Steph Curry. This is when he was having ankle issues with the Warriors. They weren't all that great. They were a middling playoff team. And they kind of just wanted to move off from him. So I definitely think Nike wants that one back. But at the time, nobody really foresaw what Steph Curry was going to turn into for Under Armour. They were a new player in the game. So they kind of see it as let's level up and try to get into this basketball world with Adidas and Nike where Under Armour's missed is their design. Nike and Adidas have been afforded years and years of history that the designs are not the most important thing. Usually for other companies, whether it's Puma, Adidas, uh, excuse me, Puma, Reebok, uh, Under Armour, the design matters because what's going to draw you away from those top companies? It's going to be the design and the look. And I think they've botched now. I think it's the, the Curry 8 we're on. They've botched 80% of his models. And that's really why Under Armour struggling right now is they have the great player, but they haven't figured out how to market him. Yeah, I'm just going to look up some of these uh, designs for like his shoes. Yeah, so I'll just I'll just give you the latest one. The Curry 8, they've kind of updated a little bit and it's a better look. Um but when you originally get the leaked pictures, I mean, it looks like a New Balance running shoe. And I just don't think that's going to get it done for Steph Curry. Now, I do think it's interesting you noted that they're trying to do what Nike did with Michael Jordan and separate themselves. Um, it's going to be interesting. Do I think – I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's going to work. That's the thing. There's a difference between Michael Jordan and Steph Curry. Michael Jordan wasn't competing with 12 other players to sell sneakers and sell their brand. Michael Jordan was kind of the first guy around the corner to do all of that and kind of set the table for everybody else and what we have now. And I don't know if Under Armour has the market to do that. The one thing I do think is interesting is Steph Curry's an avid golfer. I'm interested to see what Under Armour does and if they try to launch like a Steph Curry line for like golf apparel because that would be interesting. And I think they could get people going there and buying that type of apparel. I remember, I think I remember in the last dance doc, they were talking about how they wanted to market Michael, not as like a basketball player, but the as yeah, very similar to how tennis player, you know, very much like an individual sport athlete (laughs) would be marketed. And I'm looking at the design of the Curry eights and I, it's sleek. I like the kind of like the way it looks, but there's something off about, you know, the, you know, the, the, like the high top part of the shoe it's kind of yeah. like there's something off about that i i'm i i don't know i don't know the design because it hasn't been like officially announced yet so i don't know the design usually when people design shoes like that it's usually like they say they're like cars or something like that like a lamborghini or something and the design of a car is the lamborghini the back's higher and it slopes down um so you see like people talk about that i'm not sure it also has better support around his ankle and that's why it's a, a kind of a mid um in the back and then it kind of slopes down and kind of becomes like a low top shoe. So maybe it's a Curry thing of wanting to protect his ankles as well. We don't really know just because it hasn't been officially announced yet. It's kind of just all speculation. So we'll see. Yeah. I think I'm just looking through like potentially uh, leaked, like leaked designs for like the Curry aids. I'm just trying to look through, trying to get a better idea. Cause I've cuz I've always seen like it's nothing but Nike's. I've always been like a Nike person because like that's the most available, that's the most accessible to me. Yep. And you're I agree with like you're the exposure. Like they really need to like have to stand out because like Nike pretty much owns the market. Yes. I, and I don't know how like if you're Under Armour Puma or Reebok, like what do you do like when you have like this like giant in your own industry just taking everything from you? that's kind of the question I've talked about on the podcast. Do these companies need to look at more niche sports and things like that? Reebok has gone and had a deal with UFC for the past seven years of their shorts and their gloves and Reebok's big into the CrossFit industry. And they sell a lot of product that way. Under Armour's best line is with Dwayne, the rock Johnson and his CrossFit apparel. 
is it when you need to compete, there's no problem with competing with Nike Adidas. The problem is, is you can't miss on the product. Like that's that, like, that's the thing you can't miss. And that's why it's so hard. Like if you look at Embiid's first shoe with Under Armour, it's an identical copy to Kyrie too. So why would I buy an MB one if I can just buy a Nike shoe that's similar to it? Like, I think that's the issue is, is where, where are you different, have a better product and why, like, why would I buy it? If it's similar to a Nike, I'm going to go with Nike. If it's like, there's just issues I have with Under Armour. Let's, let's wrap it up by asking, I want to ask you this. Have you ever, how many midnight releases? Cause I know that's a huge thing with, um, with any, like anytime there's like a major sneaker that's about to come mm-hmm. out. Like, have you ever been, how many midnight releases have you lined up for? Uh, two, I want to say, but now midnight releases aren't really a thing anymore because you have the sneakers app and you have all these websites. It's all gone to like digital shopping, um, and online shopping. And that's kind of where the market's gone to. So most shoes come out at like 10 a.m. in the morning. And if I don't know if you see it on Twitter or things like that, everybody taking their L on the sneakers app. Um, so that's kind of the way it's changed. It's no longer lining up for at the mall to get shoes. That's interesting. Wow, that I didn't even know about that. So it's gotten completely like, you're gonna yeah. see like a lot more of like these deals are going to be like tied around like major like online sales. Like Amazon has like prime day coming up very soon. Yeah. And do you see like, there's definitely most likely like a lot of these like sneaker companies are going to be marketing or doing major sales around that, around that time. Um, maybe the, the thing with like Jordan, like, so let's take Jordan for example, with they have Zion Williamson, Hachimura, um, Jason Tatum, and Luka Doncic right now. The things they've done with those guys is kind of test the market. And so you put them on sneakers app and it's a guaranteed to sell out. And so you see that route taking, I think it's their way of, of seeing how well does a guy sell and then looking at the resale value. So it's almost a way to test the market digitally and online where that's never existed before. Wow. And I, I'm just, sorry if I'm like trying to, I'm trying, I'm still trying to no, process you're, this. Cause I'm like, look, you're, it's a lot to process. And honestly, it's if the people that really like sneakers don't like how it's all set up right now. Like it's, it's kind of, I don't want to curse on your podcast us, but it's bullshit. No, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> it's bullshit how they have it set up right now. Um, because they pretty much reward resellers right now. So the love for shoes has gone away and you see a lot of people turning into a business and becoming resellers. So when people want like a shoe that's normally going to resale for $140, and if you miss on the sneakers app, which 90% of people do, you have to go to the resale market where it's going to be four, five, 10 times worth the value of the resale market. And that is how it's all set up right now to just kind of screw over people. And another issue a lot of these companies have is they don't fight against bots. So a lot of people who want to make this their business buy like 10 or 15 bots. And that's kind of like sets it up with all your monitors of you have 10 to 15 at the same time, selecting the same shoe with different sizes. Like you set them up and you program them to buy the shoes. And then you're, you now have 15 pairs and you're just going to resell, resell them and make a ton of money while another person who just wants to buy them and wear them can't get them and if they do they have to pay five times the amount wow yeah that's it's unfortunate that like bots once again are kind of screwing up the uh, multiple industries yeah but it's it's just amazing to me like you have it's kind of like you'd think that like all these companies that they would kind of seamlessly transition into the going digital but it feels like from what i'm hearing from you is that there's a lot of bugs that still need to be fixed around that around that transition well, it's the question, do they want to fix them? Like that, that's, that's the question of they, I, I believe they know they exist. The question becomes, do they want to fix them? Do they care? Like, do they care about their customer customer enough? I don't know. It, it, it's the question that I've been asking myself of you just had those Kobe fives um, during Mamba week released and pretty much nobody could get them. And so is Nike really honoring Kobe Bryant or are they just trying to make a quick buck on people? And I think that's where a lot of people have issues with how it's set up right now. You have companies like Union and Telfar who 
fight against bots and set it up where that's not a thing, whether it's having uh, a pre-sale where you can buy as many as you want. And then like you're guaranteed the product like five or six months down the line, just because it takes time to fill all the orders or just setting up better software to fight against the bots. Like company, there's a few companies, fashion companies that have chose to fight against it. Now, when we're talking about our athletic companies of Nike, I, I don't know. Do they care enough? I honestly don't know. Right now, I feel like they don't. Just to kind of let's uh, let's tie it up and let, wrap it up. What oh. what would you say is uh, the your most favorite shoe that you've ever gotten, and the one that you pretty much say this I'm this is my favorite one. I, I just everything about it is just perfect to me. Oh, that's easy. Concord Eleven. Concord Eleven. I'm gonna look yeah. that up right now just to it's, see it's, the, uh, the the Jordan Concord Elevens. The patent leather, the history behind it, going seventy two and ten that season. Um him debuting them in the 1995 semifinals against the Orlando Magic, him getting fined for it because they didn't have enough black in the shoe. There's history there, the comfort of the shoe, the way the shoe looks. Um, wow. It all adds up. Yeah, it's uh, my first ever shoe that I bought with my own money were the Penny Five Tory Yellows. Um, but my most, like my favorite shoe and what I kind of cherish and I'll wear on like special occasions or like I used to wear them to call Hofstra games because um, I always want to keep them nice are definitely the Concord 11s just because my parents got them for me. Um, I understand the history. They mean something to me and they always look good, but I don't want to treat them horribly. Like I like they, they mean like it, it's odd. It, it, people always ask like, why do she, shoes mean something to you? I can't really explain it besides like, it's just a hobby and it's an obsession that like, it's just something I care about. Like if something someone cares about video games or cooking or something like that, like shoes is that for me. It's just, it's a collectible. I always tell my brother, shoes are a wearable art because there's a story there. There's designs, like they mean something and you can wear them, but they're still artwork. Yeah, I'm, st I'm looking at the retro 11s, like the retro concords now. I'm like, wow, that is... That's sleek. I like the I like the kind of like the design of like the black like wrapped around the shoe. Yeah. I love that, and it's kind of like the. I mean, I don't, I don't. They probably have in like different colors. I'm assuming because I also seen like this design where there's like the red on the bottom, as well. Yeah, those, those are the bread elevens. Those are so so he debuted the Concord elevens against Orlando when he came back like with I don't know it was 20 games left in the semifinals when they were playing the Orlando Magic when they lost in six to Penny and Shaq. He debuted the Concords in game one and two, got fined to them, and then he went to the Bread Elevens um, for the for the next four games. And then the next season, he obviously wore the Concords and the Bread Elevens. And then in the All-Star game, he wore the Columbia Elevens. But like the Elevens are just a historic shoe. Just for him coming back that season, going 72 and 10. And for most people, they're like their favorite Jordans of all time. Yeah, I'm also looking at the Penny Fives too. God, that is that's an awesome, pretty yeah, Penny had like Nike was killing the market, and this is this is my point. Like Nike was killing the market in the '90s. You had Barkley, you had Michael Jordan, you had Penny Hardaway. I mean, one they're all three easy sales, and they hit on all three designs for their sneakers. So I'm when you hand it out of the ballpark, like you're afforded mistakes here and there, but moving forward, like just everybody kind of trusts you to do the right thing with designs what the athletes you're picking and so on and so forth. There's like one more that I really like. There's like this penny five invisibility cloak. Like it, it's like kind of like purplish, like around it's all almost all black. It has like purple linings everywhere. I'm like, that is actually pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. The, th the thing with shoes is there's so many colorways. Like he didn't wear those colorways, but like they come out with colorways either years later or just something he never wore. Like it's just, like that's that's just the cool thing of these companies of just coming out with new things all the time, pushing the envelope and just retroing shoes that people love. I can't believe I'm starting to get into it. Like I've never really been about like the look of a shoe. I've always, I've always been about practicality. I've always been like, does it feel good on my feet? <laughs> but now that I look at it and I've actually just inspected and just seen the design of these of these different pairs, I'm like, God, I could definitely should save up on some of these one day one day i should definitely just splurge and just be like I, you know what i'm gonna spend money on these penny fives or a, a random pair of jordans like i gotta do something because the most i've ever spent was like a random pair of like walking shoes in um 
in probably in Japan. Like I had like this weird like thing where I every time I went to Japan, I would always go to their local like their version of uh, Foot Locker's called okay. ABC. ABC Mart is what like that's their version of uh, of a Foot Locker, and I would always like spend money and drop money for like a pair of sneakers. Like I have like these really good ones that are like from like these Italian like design like walking shoes that like had like this black gold and like high top um look and that's the most i've ever dropped on a shoe but i understand and i can kind of i understand I have, a, I have a better understanding of why people like spend money and like collect shoes it's like the designs are incredible I, th I think it depends on the person like you're saying for you it's functionality it's like the comfort of a shoe and i think most people are like that i'll give you a little uh warning here about getting into shoes getting into shoes is like getting into gambling you wish you never did it, but once you do, you can't stop. Wow. I'll take that warning to heart. As, <laughs> as someone who is... Uh... I, I mean it. So, as someone who likes to gamble and someone who likes to buy shoes, once you get in, you can't get out. I'll keep that in mind because, wow, Jesus, there's so many good versions of the pennies. Yeah. Penny, Penny, had, a, Penny had, a great, uh, had, a, had a great line. And obviously that's one of the things now at Memphis – um is that he still wears his old shoes he hooks up with his players and penny's just a likable guy like he was a marketable guy and so like this is where nike just hit with these guys i can't believe that i can't believe that it's just it's kind of it's definitely like wow oh that's why nike just kept keeps dominating they just know yeah. how to like market their guys just like the best possible way it all started with uh it all started with jordan and then kind of just moved its way in i want to add one last thing before i go yeah Spencer Dinwiddie kind of highlighted this recently when they were talking about the difference between LeBron and Kawhi. And Spencer's not even with Nike, but he said Nike, why Nike kind of gets like the Jordan LeBron goat and all their all the guys all the time. Like if you look at their shoes, it's usually Nike guys. They tell a story. They always tell a, a player's story. It's more it's it's almost a journey. They take they take you on and they tell you through the sneakers and just the player themselves. They're always marketing them. They're always in your face. And it's something most companies other uh, fail to do or just can't because of the players they sign. Damn straight. All right, Justin, let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media and what you have been up to. So you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at J underscore sports talk. Uh, and then for me, you can find my podcast, like Susumu said, just kicking it. It's about shoes, and I also bring on guests talking about basketball as well, like I did here today. You can find it on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, literally any audio platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. I'd appreciate it, and that's it for me, Sus. Thanks so much, Justin, and that's going to do it, everybody. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify as well as Anchor.fm. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I will see you guys next time.